Well, good morning again to all of you. Good morning. We'll try again. Good morning. There you go. I said it once, but I know um, some of you didn't hear it. So anyhow, we, um, we're going to take a look at Romans this morning, Romans chapter 8. If you have a Bible or a Bible on your phone, um, please feel free to pull it out. I think it might be helpful this morning to follow along a bit, um, but we're going to try to get it up on the screen as well. So y'all can, um, y'all can see what Paul is talking about in this fabulous passage. There is no condemnation. There's no condemnation for those of us who are in Jesus Christ. There's no condemnation. It's amazing. It, it is possibly the sweetest passage in all of Scripture. There's lots of sweet passages in Scripture. But when, when I come to this one, and I think there's no condemnation. I'm simply blown away. I think part of that is because it's a stark contrast to the world that we live in. I would suggest to you that we live in a world of condemnation. Uh, Many of us feel that condemnation day in and day out. And and that's a strong word, and and for many people that word resonates with them. Um, They have been um, explicitly, verbally condemned in the past. Some of you are are carrying a lot of weight and a lot of baggage because for years and years and years, perhaps even abusive years, somebody has been telling you that you're not good enough. Some of you are carrying that condemnation with you, and you can resonate with that word. But many of us are not. And what we have to realize is that even then, we we live in a world generally of implicit condemnation. Condemnation is implied everywhere you turn. And so you, you flip on the TV and you see a commercial and you immediately realize that you're not rich enough and you're not pretty enough and you don't have enough stuff and you need to do something about it, right? That is what the TV, the advertisements are screaming at us. Even the television shows are, are presenting to us a life that looks great that we don't have. There's implicit condemnation in that. Now, now some of us, might, you might recognize that and you might say, well, you know, move on. But, but if you start, when that stuff gets, gets thrown into you and, and impressed upon your hearts day in and day out, it starts to become a reality for you. It's implied condemnation. And it's not just the TV, it's the world around us. There's this expectation um, that you're supposed to have the right sort of job, make the right amount of money, date the right people, marry the right person, and if you don't marry the right person and have the right family, there might be something wrong with you. You're supposed to have the right job and do the right things all the time, and when you don't, maybe you get the sideways glances or you hear the whispers, or maybe you've even imposed that upon yourself, and you're condemned. And then we come to Romans chapter 8, verse 1, and Paul says, there is no condemnation, no condemnation for those of us in Christ Jesus. How could this be? How could this be? That's what we want to look at this morning. There's no condemnation in us when we're in Christ Jesus because of the work of Jesus on the cross And the purpose of that is for our salvation and also that we might have the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives, that we would share that message to the rest of the world. That's what this passage in Romans is getting at this morning. And I want us to to take it apart. Um, Not all of it. We'd be here for hours, but, but a few highlights. We want to look at this and see how this could possibly be that there's no condemnation for us. But first, 
there is an implication in Paul's statement that we cannot ignore. If he's going to tell us that there's no condemnation in Christ Jesus, then the reality of that is there is condemnation outside of Christ Jesus. That is implied in this statement, and that's a a hard thing to talk about. It's not particularly fun to talk about, and especially in the church where many people have spent a lot of time condemning other people because they don't do the right things and behave the right way. Um, It's kind of, you know, it's uneasy, and some of you might be thinking, well, there there they go again, just, just telling us how we're going to hell because we don't believe in Jesus, and that's not my intention, but it is implied here that there is condemnation outside of Jesus Christ. But faith in Jesus, okay, listen to me, church people, this is for you, which is myself included, by the way. Faith in Jesus does not give us a license to condemn. That's not our job. That is not our job. And and too often we spend time um, condemning those whose faith or whose actions or things they do don't agree with us. And now that we have the internet, we can pretty much do that at any opportunity without actually having to deal face-to-face with that person that we are condemning. But that's not our job. Are there actions that are right and wrong? Yes. Is there a distinction between faith in Christ and not faith in Christ? Yes. But is it our job to condemn? No. That belongs to God. God alone. And the second thing to remember about this is we're all in the same boat, friends. We're all in the same boat. We all started at the same spot outside of Jesus Christ, alienated from God. And that's what Paul is saying. He's saying Jesus Christ has redeemed that. Think back, if you will, in your Bibles to Exodus. It's about 1,500, 2,000 years before Jesus Christ, before Paul was writing Romans. You might remember Moses was the leader of the Israelite people, and God sent him into Egypt to rescue them from slavery, and he delivered them through the waters of the Red Sea and brought them into the wilderness of the Sinai Peninsula. And there um, they came to the base of Mount Sinai, and they met the incredible and powerful and holy and imposing God. And Moses called God, or excuse me, God called Moses up onto the mountain, and there he delivered the Ten Commandments. And so when Paul writes in Romans and other letters, when he's talking about the law, what you can think of in your head is the Ten Commandments, and then the laws that come after it that explain and expound upon the Ten Commandments, that's the law that we're talking about. And so the primary ones, if you will, if you want to think that way, are the ten that God gave to Moses. Now, why did God give them to Moses and the nation of Israel? It wasn't to control them. It wasn't to, 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 to try to harness them so they couldn't be free people. It was to show them the way of life. God is saying, listen, I created you. I created this world. I know what works and what doesn't. And these Ten Commandments, they work. And whatever you decide on your own is probably not going to do it. But more than that, God gave them the Ten Commandments so that they might be a light to the nations. That the world might look on this peculiar people that God had chosen, this insignificant people in the backwards corner of the world that God had picked, that they might look at them... And see the grace and glory of the God of creation. That's the point of the law. That's why they were given the law, so that God's love and grace and glory would be made known to the whole world. But there was a problem, you see. 
Israel couldn't do it. They couldn't fulfill the law. They couldn't do it any more than we can do it. We can't measure up to these statutes. We can't live up to these commands of God. We don't have what it requires. And and the law, the Ten Commandments, the, the Exodus, Numbers, Leviticus, Deuteronomy, they cannot empower us to do what they command. They can command it, but they can't help us do it. Do you see that? Every single one of us is in this boat, this place where we've got the law, but we can't fulfill it. And and maybe you're not buying what I'm saying. Maybe you're like, well, you know, I don't necessarily believe in the Bible, and that's okay, but let's think this way then. Just take a moment and and think in your head the perfect person. You know, what, what do they value? What's sort of their moral standard? What sort of ethic do they have? Think about that person, um, the, even perhaps the person you would like to be. Got it? Now consider an inventory of your life and every single thing you've ever done or thought. Do you even measure up to your own standards? Set God aside for a second. Do you even measure up to the own stand, your own standards that you hold other people to? And if I told you that I was going to write all that down and put it on a screen when you come to church next week, I'm guessing most of you would not come back. I wouldn't be here. We, we can't fulfill our own standards. There's no way we're going to fulfill God's standards. Now, the problem is not the law. It's not the requirements. It would be nice for us to just say, well, God, if you never given us the rules, we couldn't be in trouble for breaking them, right? No, the problem's not the law. The problem is our own sin. Paul writes in verse 2, um, no, verse 3, God has done what the law could not do because it was weakened by the flesh. He would write in chapter 7 that the law is perfect and holy and just and good. There's nothing wrong with God's commandment. The problem, frankly, is you and me and our weakness and our sinfulness. And so before God, actually, we all stand condemned. We're all in the same boat. It doesn't matter what you've done or what you haven't done or or what you've thought or haven't thought. It, It doesn't matter. Before God, we're all condemned. None of us have met his standard. But 8.3 explains to us how we could possibly stand without condemnation. God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. Listen to this. By sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh. He condemned the problem he condemned our sin. Do you see that? And so Paul, uh, God sent Jesus Christ to take care of this problem, to take care of our sin problem, in the likeness of sinful flesh. What does that mean? Well, it means that Jesus was fully human. He was fully like us, but he wasn't all the way like us because he wasn't as sinful as we are. In fact, he was not sinful at all. And so God, Paul couldn't say, well, well, God sent Jesus just like us because that's not true. Jesus was just like us, but he was sinless. He was perfect. He was holy. And so every single command of the law that has been written down, Jesus fulfilled. He walked it out. He sent Jesus Christ in the likeness of sinful flesh. Why? So that he could condemn sin in the flesh. 
so that he could condemn sin in the flesh. Remember the problem. The problem is not the law. The problem is our sin. Jesus condemned sin because he lived a perfectly obedient, perfectly sinless life. And then, in spite of the fact that he was the only one to ever walk the face of the earth that didn't deserve condemnation in the eyes of God, he was obedient even to the point of death on a cross. He took the penalty for sin on his shoulders... So that we might have life. So that sin itself might be condemned. And God took a look at Jesus Christ hanging on the cross, dead in the tomb, and God raised him. He raised him from the dead. Breaking the power of sin, breaking the power of the law, enabling us to know the power of God through his Holy Spirit. And so Paul writes this, there is no condemnation for those of us who are in Jesus Christ. When we're in Jesus Christ, our sin is nailed to the cross. Our sin is buried in the tomb. When we are in Jesus Christ, we share in his resurrection. The penalty of sin, the penalty of death, these things have no power for those who know and love Jesus Christ. And so there's no condemnation for those of you who are in Jesus Christ. None whatsoever, because he has taken that on the cross. And now there's a second part to this story. There's no condemnation. um, But let's read verse 4. I lost my spot. Excuse me. Okay. So he condemns sin in the flesh. Why? Well, for salvation. We just talked about that. And in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. Okay? Sin has been condemned. We know that in Jesus Christ there is no condemnation. We know his redemption. And now that we know that, the righteous requirement of the law can be fulfilled in us. In us. Those of us who, who, who are always struggling, who are always falling short, who are always wondering why we can't just do the things that we know that are right and are good, that, 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 that in us, God is fulfilling the righteous requirement of the law. When we follow Jesus, when we know his love and forgiveness, we are compelled by his love for us to love others, to serve them, To share with them this amazing treasure that we have, that in Jesus Christ there's no condemnation, is something that we want to go out into the world and to share. And when we do that, what are we doing? We're a light to the nations. Way back in Exodus, that's the purpose of the law. God gave Moses the Ten Commandments not to constrain you, but to to say, listen, you have an opportunity to show the world how much God loves you. And when we know Jesus Christ and we receive his Holy Spirit, that's what we are doing when we go out into the world and proclaim the gospel. Now, we might do that with our, with our mouths, and we should probably be telling people the good news of Jesus Christ more often than we are. But, it, but it's not just that. It's, it's just simply living as Christ has called us to live in love and forgiveness of one another. I'd say that's the biggest thing that we don't do very well is forgiving is forgiving because we, we receive this good news and then we think, well, we got to be holy now. we got to be perfect and we got to do the right things. And Jesus is saying, listen, love each other as I have loved you. 
And I loved you by forgiving you and sharing my mercy with you. What if we were a merciful people, first to ourselves and then to others? What would that look like? And so there's no condemnation in Christ Jesus because he's freed us from the law. And because he's freed us from the law, we've received the Holy Spirit so that we might fulfill the righteous requirement of the law. And when people look at us, friends, when people look at St. Paul's, I want them to see Jesus Christ. I don't want them to see some beautiful church. I don't want them to see a church that does a lot of good work for the community. I want them to see the love and forgiveness of Jesus Christ. Can we do that? I think if we're going to do that, we need to dwell on this realization that in Christ there is no condemnation. And when that happens, then we can get down to um, verse 11. When we realize that we're not condemned, when we receive the Holy Spirit, we, we get to this. If the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, He who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through His Spirit who dwells in you. He will give life to your mortal bodies through the Spirit who dwells in you. It doesn't say that when you know Jesus Christ, one day when you die, you're going to get to go be with God. Okay, that's true, but that's not what this says. It says, in your mortal bodies, right now you have a mortal body. That's, this is right now. God will give you life through his spirit. And you'll know his love, and you'll know the power to love, and you'll know the power to forgive, and you'll know the power to walk down the street in Somerville and to be different and to be somebody who follows Jesus Christ and share that love for, with others. This isn't a future thing that we're just waiting on. This is right now that we might fulfill the righteous requirement of the law. Now, we're going to do it perfectly. No, this is a process. Sin is, 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 is dying, but it's slow to die in us sometimes. But the more we reflect on the love of God, the more we realize the power of His grace, the more we recognize the Holy Spirit working in us, the more we will be shaped in His image. The brighter our light will shine. There's no condemnation for you in Jesus Christ. So, two things um, that I want you to just bring home with you. What does this mean? Well, for some of you, you're like, yes, right on, I get it. Um, thanks be to God, I've been living that out for, for a few years. And, and that's great, and I'm really thankful for that. And if you are that person, I simply want you to remember this. Remember where you came from. Remember where you came from. Because... There is no condemnation for you in Jesus Christ, but there used to be condemnation for you outside of Jesus Christ. And so those folks who are not in the same boat as you, or who you don't think is in the same boat as you, that are not in the same place as you, um, you were there once. Remember where you came from and that God loved you before you did anything. Before you became more holy or more righteous or started coming to church every Sunday, God was loving you even before that. Can you extend that love to others? Remember where you came from. And the second thing is simply this. It means what it says. It means what it says. There is no condemnation for you in Jesus Christ. And so whatever guilt, 
whatever shame, whatever burdens you're carrying, whatever expectations you have for yourself that are unfulfilled, whatever expectations others have for you that are unfulfilled, there is no condemnation in Jesus Christ. None. And so you you come here to receive the love and the grace of God, and it doesn't matter what you're wearing, it doesn't matter where you've been or what you've done or how many times you've done it. When you meet Jesus Christ, that stuff is wiped clean. And after you meet Jesus Christ and you mess up time and time again, that stuff is wiped clean too. Because in Jesus Christ, there's, there's none, I can't say it enough, there's no condemnation for you. I want to close in prayer, but I I simply do want to recognize that there might be a few of you here that have not actually heard the gospel presented this way. That that you feel like there's some expectation to be good enough to follow Jesus, or or once you get in life in order, finally you can start um, knowing Jesus and going to church, but but you got to get things straight first. And and that's not true. And so when we pray, I want to give you folks in particular a chance to to respond to this. I'm going to ask you to stand up and raise your hands. you can if you want to, but I'm not going to ask you to do that. But if, if you would just pray this prayer with me, um, and to know the power and the love of Jesus Christ, I guarantee you, you will start to realize that, that there's no condemnation in him, none at all. And it's helpful to tell somebody afterwards, so if you want to come up to me or any of the clergy or anybody you know here and tell them that you've made that decision this morning, that's great. But I simply want to give you a chance to be with God right now in prayer. So when we bow our heads, Lord, we, what a great and glorious thing your grace is. We give you thanks that in you there is absolutely not one single ounce of condemnation. And that by your Holy Spirit you transform us more and more into your likeness day in and day out. So I pray for everybody here um, that has heard your message this morning, that it would speak to their hearts, that any guilt or burdens or shame that people are carrying with them this morning would be wiped clean by the grace of your Son, Jesus Christ, and the power of the Holy Spirit. And Lord, I pray for anybody who's hearing this message um, for the first time or hearing it in this way for the first time, um, that you would touch their hearts. And if that's you whose heart has been touched, um, simply pray this prayer with me in your heart now. Lord, I thank you for giving us your son, Jesus. I turn away from my life without you. And I embrace your love. I welcome the power of your Holy Spirit in my heart. Enable me to know fully your lack of condemnation. And equip me to seek you and to serve you and to love you more and more each day. And surround me with the community that will enable me to do that by your same Holy Spirit. We ask all of these things in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, who does not condemn but instead gives us life through his death and power by his resurrection. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen.